Good morning, Wesley Methodist. We are so delighted to be in your presence, and we thank you for the honor of being here today, and thank you for those on our team that are here, and we just uh, praise God for this uh, wonderful privilege to preach the Word of God here. Our text today comes from Mark chapter 5, uh, 21 through 43. Mark 5, 21 to 43. Uh, hear the Word of God. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took to the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let us pray. Lord, bless your word, anoint it, and may our hearing hear you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Christianity is centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly how long uh, the public ministry of Jesus was from his baptism to his 
uh, passion, the triumphal entry to Jerusalem, but it's somewhere between 1,095 days and 1,316 days. And so we have around 1,200 or so days of Jesus' ministry, but if you actually go to the Gospels and you count in the Gospels how many days in the ministry of Jesus are presented to us and revealed to us in Scripture, we have only 50 of those days. This means that there are so many things Jesus did and said, and yet these are carefully selected in order to reveal to us who Jesus Christ is. In fact, uh, the last verse in John's Gospel, in John 21, the last verse says, if we had told you everything Jesus did, he's, I suppose, the whole world couldn't contain the books that could be written about what Jesus did. So to come to this passage, it's very important because the three Gospels that really emphasize the public ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all include this passage, this day in the life of Jesus. So there, from their point of view, the gospel's point of view, the, this particular day in the life of Jesus is very important for us to know. And so the question this morning is this, why is this passage so important? Why is this passage of all the days of Jesus? Not only is it given to us, but it's given to us three times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we want to explore this passage because I believe it's significant because it reveals something about the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. On this particular day of Jesus' ministry, there are two people that cross the path of Jesus on this day, Jairus and the woman that has this hemorrhage of blood. These two people both find themselves falling at the feet of Jesus on this same day in the life of Jesus. A second moment to think about these two people as they're revealed to us in Holy Scripture. First of all, we have Jairus. Jairus is, we're told in our text, not just once but five times, that he is a synagogue ruler. He is not simply an ordinary uh, Jewish rabbi, he is a ruler over the other uh, rabbis. He is a major leader. He's somebody that is known. He has name. He has rank. He has biography. He has person. He has place. He has position. He has power. He is, he is the ultimate insider in the ancient world of that time. He's the kind of person that if you saw him, you would stand back because he was a very important person to let him through. If you saw him in the marketplace or somewhere in the synagogue, you would go home and tell your spouse, uh, guess who I saw today? I saw Jairus. And so this person is the ultimate uh, person of power and position, and yet we find him falling at the feet of Jesus because his 12-year-old daughter was dying. Now contrast that to this woman with the hemorrhage of blood. We do not know her name. She is unknown to us. She has no name or rank that's revealed to us, no position, no power. She is a person that's completely disenfranchised on the margins of that 
society. No one would notice her. No one would open the, you know, the uh, crowd would open the way for her. No one would ever notice that she was there. But notice that Mark's gospel is very particular on the details. And this woman had been suffering for 12 years. And she had actually given all of her money to be healed. And she had found no healing for her hemorrhaging of blood. Mark's gospel makes a point in the end of the passage to make the point that the little girl was 12 years old. So you actually have two 12-year-old stories that are unfolding in the lives of these two very different people who never would have met, but both intersect on this day in the life of Jesus. This little girl who for 12 years has perhaps been in various kinds of ailments, but for whatever reason, at this point, she's at the point of death. This woman with 12 years of blood hemorrhage is also the point of death, had given all she had to doctors. And both of these desperations, uh, both of these pleas, these prayers come to Jesus at this point on this day in his life. Now, you must understand the, the full implications of this woman with the hemorrhage of blood. This woman, uh, because her bleeding would, was never, was stopped, it was not stopping, she would be considered to be ritually unclean. Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 26 both make it very clear that this woman, because she had this uncleanliness, she had, could not go to the priest. She could not enter the temple. She could not make a sacrifice. She could not find healing. She had no access to God, temple, priest, or healing. In the U.S., we call people who cannot come to church uh, shut-ins, is the word we use. This woman is not a shut-in. She's a shut-out. She has no access to God, temple, priest, or healing. She's completely desperate. And yet, what Mark is trying to reveal to us is though this woman could not speak to a priest in Jesus Christ, the high priest is coming to her, praise the Lord. Though this woman couldn't go to the temple, Jesus is the temple. The temple is coming to her. Though Jesus, this woman could not make a sacrifice, the great sacrifice of God in Jesus Christ is coming to her. Jesus is the temple. He is the priest. He is the great sacrifice. And so this woman uh, is quite remarkable because she has in her mind that she could never get uh, the attention of Jesus. She's a nobody. And so she positions herself so she can uh, be there. So when Jesus passes by, that she may be able to touch even just the edge or hem of his garment, his cloak. Now, because uh, Jairus has come and fallen at the feet of Jesus, and because of his stature and his nature, a large crowd has gathered. And they're pushing and shoving. A lot of people have gathered. They want to go and see Jairus' home. And Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. This woman has no way to access this crowd. So she goes down a ways and she positions herself so she can just unnoticed touch the hem of his garment. 
Now, this is what happens. And of course, as Jesus passes by, she reaches out and she touches his garment. Now, at this point, we must stop and ask the question. If you lived in the first century in the Jewish world and someone told you about this, what would be the possible outcome of this woman touching the hem of Jesus' garment? From anything they would know and expect and what they were taught in their law, what would they expect to happen if someone with this hemorrhage of blood touched a ritually clean Jew? The only possible salute, the only possible outcome of this was that she would make Jesus unclean. That's what the book of Haggai taught, teaches us very clearly. Haggai says if you're bringing uh, something into the temple that is that has been consecrated to put on the altar and on the way into the temple, you it brushes up against something that's unclean. It, the prophet asked, does that clean offering make that uh, unclean thing clean? He said, no, 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 it, it makes the offering unclean. Well, what if you have a something unclean and you bring it and you put it directly on the altar? Does the cleanliness of the altar make it unclean? I make it clean? No, 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 it doesn't. In every case, when clean touches unclean, clean becomes unclean. When unclean touches clean, it becomes unclean. It never happens any other way. The only possible outcome, according to Jewish expectation, is that this woman would make Jesus unclean. That's why she was a shutout. They didn't want her touching anybody. She'd make them unclean. But see, again, Mark is saying something to us here about why something altogether new is at work in Jesus Christ. Jesus is reversing all of this. We all know this already in Mark's gospel. When, when we touch lepers, we catch leprosy. When Jesus touched lepers, they caught his health. They caught his wholeness. Jesus is reversing the tide of sin and contagion and even death itself. And so when Jesus, when this woman touched the hem of Jesus' garment, rather than her being making him unclean, she was made clean. The power of Jesus went into her and she was healed. And she felt in her body instantly that she was healed. Now you recall that they are in the middle of this crowd. And Jesus stops, and Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? Well, the disciples say, Lord, what do you mean, who touched me? Who who touched you? Look at all the crowds. Look at everyone pushing, shoving. How can you ask, who touched me? You see, Jesus was the most sensitive man who ever lived. Right now, through the power of the risen Lord, he walks amongst us this morning Jesus knows every situation in this room. He knows every pain. He knows every sorrow. He knows every cry of your heart. This is the power of the risen Lord. He is the most sensitive man who ever lived. For us, we're like Peter. You know, we're, life is a bunch of accidental contacts. We kind of brush our way through life. But Jesus is redeeming the world. At walking pace. Jesus never in the entire Gospels ever travels faster than walking. 
He's redeeming the entire world at, at five kilometers an hour. Jesus is doing his work slowly, powerfully, and he is doing it in a way that reveals the true power of Jesus Christ, redeeming the world. So this woman finally reveals herself, and she tells her story. And notice what Jesus says to her in verse 34. Very, very important. You notice this. This is a woman that has no name, no biography, no position, no power, no place. And yet in this passage, Jesus gives her the greatest title that can ever be given to any woman in the history of the world. He says to her, daughter. He says to you as a man of God. Uh, he says, son. We are called sons and daughters. This is, there's no greater title than that. Doesn't matter what position you may have or not have. What position of power is present in this country or any country. There's no greater title than for the eternal God to look at you and say daughter or son. This is what he says to her daughter. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. He announces the amazing healing and power of God. But you must realize that this delay has happened. They're on their way to Jairus' house. And this woman, uh, it was an interruption. So many times in the New Testament, Jesus' uh, greatest miracles happen at times when he's interrupted. Jesus does not mind being interrupted. He doesn't mind having, he doesn't have a schedule that has to be met. He's walking redemptively through the world. But because of this delay, Jairus' little 12-year-old daughter has died by this point. So messengers come and they tell Jairus the horrific news that his little daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore, they say. So you have to realize that this all happens right at this same place. This woman is being freed her greatest prayers have been answered. Twelve years of prayers have been answered. Do you have twelve-year prayers? I have prayers. I've been praying for more than twelve years. Twelve-year prayers have been answered. And yet, Jairus, this is his twelve-year prayers. This is the worst day of his life. He just gets the news that his daughter has died. This woman is having the greatest day of her life. Jairus is having the worst day of his life. Because to him, this is the end of all hope. But, you know, God has his timing. His timing in your life will be different than the timing in your life or my life. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. They go on down to Jairus' house. People are wailing. People are crying. He says the child is not dead, but asleep. What he means by that, of course the child is dead, but he's saying from God's perspective, it's a, he's a, she's asleep. This is the very language that's picked up on the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, that for, for God, all of us who died, from God's point of view, it's like sleep, because we will all be raised again. So Jesus says she's just asleep from his point of view. And he goes into the room and he puts everyone out. It's just the mother, the father, 
the little girl lying dead on the bed, and then Peter, James, and John. That's it. Very intimate setting. And then the Bible does something very unusual. It only does this uh, three times. When we get to this point, he says to her, Talathakum. Talathakum. It means, get up, little girl. It, we, we, we actually get it. It doesn't matter what language of the world. It's given to us in the Aramaic. The actual language that Jesus spoke. Why does it do that? We only have this a few times in Scripture. The most important one is, of course, on the cross. When we face the cross, it, it, it just, at that point, it, it moves and it gives it to us in the actual language of Jesus, if you had been there. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does it do that? It does that because it wants to draw you into this little room. It wants you, you, you can't hear this through translation. You must be as if you are there and you too hear the actual word of Jesus. When Jesus spoke, if you had been there in that room, you would have heard him say, well, you actually heard him, he'd say, Talatakum. Aramaic, little girl, get up. Because through the gospel, he's telling all of us, you and me, and this whole amazing country, to get up. To spiritually get up. Be freed from our suffering. Be freed from the sins that uh, and, and put us in bondage. That which holds us back from following him and being his ambassadors to this great country. Get up, rise up and be all that God has called you to be. This little girl, she rises up and God makes her what he has called her to be. When I was uh, growing up, my parents, I ha- I'm the third of three boys. And so naturally growing up in the U.S., in our home, uh, our parents sacrificed so much for us to go to college and be trained, etc. And so uh, at the end of our, I was the third one when I finally got out of the house and went off to the university, my mother and father decided to do some repair work on our home and make our home beautiful. And they worked on the home, put new carpet down, put drapes in the windows, made it very beautiful. I came home after my first term of studies and I walked into my house, and I was amazed because it was so beautiful. They fixed everything so beautifully. And I walked downstairs, and there was this beautiful towel hanging in the bathroom. A beautiful towel, and it had a big monogram, the letter T on it. Our last name is Tennant. She had this beautiful monogram T on the towel, and the, and the towel had these beautiful little bells on the end of the towel. It was a beautiful towel. And so I washed my hands and I turned to dry my hands on this beautiful towel when I heard my mother's voice from the other room. Don't use that towel. Don't touch that towel. I said, why not? Because, she said, 
It's a show towel <laughs> for display purposes only. She reached down and pulled out a, a real towel. Use this towel. Sometimes we can be show towel Christians where we look good. We have all the ways we present ourselves. But the problem is God can't use us. We can't be touched by a hurting, bleeding world. I'm so glad that this Bible tells us that this woman could touch Jesus, lay hands upon him, receive his power and his healing. What happens when Singapore touches you? What happens when they come up against you? Do they meet the healing of God? Do they meet the grace of God? The Israelites were told to don't don't harvest your field at the edges of your field. Harvest your field, but leave the edges unharvested. So when the the Gentiles come to your field, they they can reap that. And they receive a blessing. What happens when people come to the edges of our lives and touch the hem of our garment? The edges of our fields, do they meet a blessing? Are we a blessing to this community? Are you a blessing to this city, this country? And so I think we have here from Jesus Christ the revelation from Mark's gospel of the true power and dignity of Jesus Christ who walks through the world redemptively and calls us to be his ambassadors as we too walk through this world with redemption and grace and salvation and healing for a lost and hurting world. Thanks be to God. Amen.